Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I just had to just put in, keep putting one foot in front of the other to climb out of the hole and then new opportunities um, present themselves if you just keep in motion. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we continue the conversation with Dominic Grubisier as she talks about the spontaneous purchases she's made, why she thinks property development is more profitable than traditional investing strategies and how a change in the mindset has changed her property approach. Delving into how she progressed into her property investing career, Grubisa shares the details on a $1 million deal that changed it all. I actually had clients who um, wanted me as a lawyer to go to an open for inspection. Um, so, Mervac um, had um, a site at Walsh Bay, so down near the rocks in Sydney, and it was an old industrial pier and they were turning it into luxury apartments. And they knew they had something special because there were marina berths um, that the council had given them permission to have boat moorings for um, the more expensive apartments. And that was really, really rare in Sydney. So my clients came to me and said, we are VIP Burbank clients. We've been invited to the pre-launch. And it was like, you know, lining up in the streets for I don't know, tickets to a Madonna concert or something. People were camping overnight to be the first in the door to buy these apartments. And Mervac's deal was that um, they gave you, they opened the doors. You had to be there with your lawyer on the day to sign away your rights. So in New South Wales, if you're buying property unconditionally, you'd normally get a cooling off period. And um, if you're going to waive that cooling off, your lawyer has to sign for you. So they asked me to come on a Sunday um, to sign for them because they said we want to buy about five of these properties because they're just so finite um, and special and we just need you there. So when I got through the door, it was just like a feeding frenzy and there were all the agents there and they were just red sold stickers on everything. And I just thought I've got to have one of these. I got caught up in the excitement, but I didn't have um, the money to do it. So I'd done property before. It's just that I was playing at the $200,000 level. These things started at $1.2 million. So it's just a million short. And I'm thinking, how can I, how can I make this happen? And um, I, there was a guy that I, been uh, I wasn't even dating him I'd been on a first date with him the night before but I really liked him and we got on well over dinner and he just really liked property and I liked property and I just thought well I'll just see if he's interested so I rang him up and said I had really good time last night and do you want to buy an apartment so he could have thought that I was psycho um, and a stalker and got scared away but he did say I'll come and have a look 
and he got out and he had a checkbook in his hand and I just thought, oh, my God, it's happening so fast. And anyway, long story short, he he had a different thing in mind. I thought we'd be buying one together and that's how we'd get the money. But he just said, bugger you, I'm buying my own. So he bought one and then I, not to be beaten, I um, went to a guy selling deposit bonds so that Mervac had organised that on the day because as a developer they were prepared to accept a deposit bond, which is like a bank guarantee or an insurer that will um, put up the surety for your 10% deposit because I didn't have the $120,000. Um, so, But I had $7,000, which it cost for them to issue this bond. So when I got my foot on one apartment, I asked if I could have a mooring and they said, they were only for the top floor penthouses. And then they just said, look, all right, if we, the Mervac agent said, look, don't tell anyone, I'm not meant to offer them to the little peasant apartment. So um, he let me um, buy with another deposit bond a mooring, and that cost $120,000. It was after purchasing the apartment, living in it for a couple of years, and then selling it that her property journey really kicked off. And so then, anyway, this, the guy, um, who I'd been dating um, kind of had to marry me after that because we had neighbouring apartments and like when it was built in four years' time, we just felt it would be awkward if if things weren't amicable. So that kind of united us. And then um, we ended up, we had three children under two. So like within a couple of years, our lives had changed and these off the plans were going to take four years to build. So ultimately we on-sold his apartment, but we kept mine thinking, well, well if we settle on this one, and move in and at our home we won't pay capital gains tax and also it will be far more attractive if the market because the market was just going up and up and we thought um, when when people can actually see something tangible and the views and it's not just a hole in the ground they'll pay more so before we even got to put it on the market um, a, a the Mervac agent came to us and he said I've got this investor and he's very very wealthy he's just jetted in from Hong Kong he wants one of the moorings in this block and he said but the thing is the strata rules say you have to own an apartment to have the right to buy a mooring he doesn't want an apartment he just wants the mooring but he gets that he has to own an apartment so he selected you because you literally have the worst apartment in the block to come with a mooring and um, he said but this is how he rolls he just is a numbers man. He said, I've been doing business with him for 20 years. When he wants something, he refines his numbers and he only makes one offer. So he said, I'm about to make you an offer. If you don't accept it, this guy will be on an eight o'clock flight back to Hong Kong. And they offered us, uh, he offered us 2.166 million. So we just jumped on it. And um, between Kevin, my husband's apartment, we'd sold that for $250,000 more than he secured it for off the plan. And with this other one, we made over $1.2 million on that whole development. So that was, I mean, with hindsight, that was beginner's luck. But at the time, we just thought we had the Midas touch and we could do no wrong. While this opportunity certainly propelled her forward, Gruberson explains that it wasn't until later when she moved into property development and property options that things really took off. Well, I'd done it as a lawyer for other people, like drafted up the agreement. So I knew I had the know-how behind it, but I'd never done it for myself. Um, so our first development wasn't actually an option. It was a um, just a, a splitter block um, where we um, just got a pro- uh, 
AV Jennings, just a project builder, to take it through council and put a, another property on the back. So it was an infill situation in a like a baby boomers downsize area where people we just built for that market and we renovated the front block and sold it off but that even that little deal yielded us about four hundred thousand dollars profit so we realized that okay the answer is the the bigger um, rewards are in property development if we can just manage the risk around it. Um, and so then, um, and, and especially right now, options are in a cooling market. Um, options are more, it's, it's more of a, a buyer's market and sellers are more open um, to being negotiable. She outlines how she came across that property and what she had to do in order to make sure the project was a success. Oh, well, that was... Um, blood, sweat and tears, that one. So it was before the the internet was as advanced as it was and, and the, the sharing of knowledge. There weren't as many tools available. So I just got very specific about it. So I think I was talking about the property developer who was my client who did really well out at Kellyville. So I, um, I, I modelled myself off him and I was looking at what he was doing and um, so I he was just an area expert so I reverse engineered his process and I just chose an area and we were northern beaches of Sydney and so we at the time so we chose Wheeler Heights which was a kind of less salubrious area more working class um sort of near Collaroy but not not as nice and um so I just really really got to know that area got to know physically went into council and of course you can do this all online these days but physically went and pulled out the massive maps of color coding looked at zonings and looked at what was zoned what where so I knew that um and so so the council had identified um this suburb and this region in their planning as a what they call infill. So there's greenfields is like like Kellyville, like I said, it's all just farmland and they've said, okay, the growth corridors are moving out that way. We're going to, with our urban planning, we're going to build infrastructure out there and we'll allow smaller blocks so farms can be subdivided off. Infill means um, where they say, well, okay, not everybody is going to want to live that far out. There is still a need for dwellings closer in already built up urban areas, but demographics have changed so much so that people who 50 years ago when, you know, it wasn't common to have divorce, when kids, when people got married at 21 and started their own homes and their own families, now there's a lot more demand for a lot smaller homes. Like people are staying single for longer, um, there's split families and it's just very normal. So um, what happened was they said they had identified in this area that it was baby boomers that didn't want to leave the suburb but didn't need the big homes anymore. So they'd zoned certain parts. So they'd said from number 35 to number 85 Smith Street um, will allow subdivision. And it was, you know, had to have certain frontage and certain land size and setbacks. And so I got myself really, really familiar with the rules and the requirements. And I looked at all the colour coding. I physically walked the streets and drove around. I went to open for inspections every Saturday and listened to what agents were, um, what, who was turning up, what the market was wanting. And I went round to the agents and said, if anything comes up, you know, if any of these numbers in these streets come up for sale or anyone wants to sell, let me know. No 
one did, but I was driving round one Sunday because I always just, I, I was very, very focused. And there was a for sale sign outside one of the houses that I wanted. So I rang the agent because I'd only just spoken to him that week, like one of the agents. And he said, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll let you know. So I rang him up and said, but you know, it's, it's, he said, oh, there's a sign going up on that already. Oh, I didn't know. And he said, um, yeah, that that's an old lady, the family that she needs to go into a home. They're wanting a quick sale. So they, you know, I didn't realize that it had gone up so quickly. So we were able to get, we could move really quickly, unconditional contract, short settlement. And so we negotiated that one well. Um, and then we um, kept the, her house that was there and we did a little renovation ourselves and we sold off the front block because we had no money and we were so risk averse. We, we needed to cut down the loss. So we sold off the front block um, and that paid that basically paid us back so we were debt free on the back block and we um got we just went out to home world because we'd never done it before and the builder um the well the av jennings knew the council knew the zoning knew the area so they got it all approved and they built it um up to lock up point so i think we bought these numbers of um vague but we we it had a two in front of it that we paid for it um back in those days we sold it for the front block for 290 so people weren't there wasn't much of a premium for a bigger block in that area just a weird market you didn't get much more from having an 800 square meter block than a 500 square meter block so um didn't matter so much that we cut off the backyard and then the rest was profit um and we sold the back house for um 400 odd um which yeah meant at the end of the day when everything was put through the sieve and stamp duty and everything else um it was 400 odd thousand profit coming up after the break we'll delve into grubis's journey and how she got started in property development I started small in the sense that I wasn't going to take on a big development and build the personal strategies she employs to make every day a successful one. I've got this thing now where my alarm goes up off at five every morning. Before that dialogue even kicks off in my head, I just go five, four, three, two, one. My feet are on the ground. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, podcast listeners. Are you interested in small investments with big profits? If the answer is yes, then register your interest at propertyinveststory.com. When you sign up, you'll receive deals at wholesale price which I've negotiated with the vendor. These deals generate positive cash returns from day one and I only send these out exclusively to my community. To find out more, visit propertyinveststory.com. Now back to the show. Delving into the strategy aspect of a property journey, Groovisa explains why she prefers developing as opposed to renovating or buy and hold strategies. If you can delegate, I, I find property developing actually easier and safer because um, even though it, it sounds counterintuitive, um, not many people do it because it's perceived risky and you need it's perceived that you need expertise, which just isn't the case um, and everyone's piles into residential lending and flipping properties like they've seen the block and they you know and and there's a lot of competition so you it's harder to buy well when you're competing with everybody else but 
there's not much competition in the development space. You're also not bound by APRA. So the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority um, controls lending and credit um, in our markets and, and how banks can lend. And right now they're really targeting residential lending. So this idea of responsible lending and banks have to be really careful who they lend to and how they lend. And what that has meant is that it's really it's getting harder and harder to get a loan. They're cutting back interest only loans so it's like a game of musical chairs everyone's on interest only loans because they've all been speculating in a hot market but they only last for five years so as those loans fall due um, banks aren't going to offer interest only again so people will be having to pay down principal and interest but they can't afford to on the current lending criteria so that's what we're seeing a, a lot more distress as people who bought and borrowed when times were good in a tougher market now can't refinance and can't pay principal and interest. Um, and in the development space, it's a different area of lending. So it's not bound by APRA. It's not residential lending. It's actually what they call commercial lending. Now, that's not commercial as in business. They call it commercial because they look at a property development venture as a business as they would a business venture so they're not approving you as a borrower they're approving your deal and the profit in it and the profits are so much larger that there's just more of the pie to go around so that yeah like you said you can afford to pay more pay money partners out get investors on board because you're creating something that wasn't there before. It was a vacant block of now, now it's five townhouses. Whereas if it's just a, a house that you're putting a new kitchen and bathroom in, the profits are so minimal that you end up having to do a lot of the work yourself because if you're paying trades, there's nothing left over. So just bigger pie, bigger rewards means more for everyone. It's a win-win. She also shares how much of her development projects are not limited to one particular era and can happen all across Australia. At the moment, we're um, involved in one in Fitzroy in Melbourne, and we've got one at Newport in Sydney that we're involved in, and another one um, in Cairns in Queensland. You're not bound by your local market, you can, and, and you can pay. So we've got project managers on the ground, obviously, watching the day-to-day. But how exactly did Grubisa go from subdivisions to property development in option contracts? I started small in the sense that I wasn't going to take on a big development and build. The first one, we'd actually got project builders to do it. Um, And what I decided we would do, and that's the beauty of development, is that every step of the way, you're adding value and someone will pay you more for that. So, even if you um, secure an option on a property, um, you can then um, go and get a DA and you can on-sell it to someone else who pay you more for it because it's got a DA and, and it's the time value of money. A developer will come in and it's like, okay, great, all I have to do is start building now. Um, so um, that even that small step will add value. You don't have to go out and build 100 apartments straight up. Giving us an insight into the tools you can use to gather information on properties, Grubisa shares with us a successful story on property options. 
now that the world's a lot more savvy and the internet's a lot more sophisticated, there are actually a lot of tools that can help you with that sort of thing, especially when you're just starting out. So, um, CoreLogic, um, you've probably heard of and your listeners have heard of RP Data. So, CoreLogic are an American company, but they've come to Australia and they've bought up all of the, the data sources in Australia when it comes to property. So, they pretty much own that space. And they recently bought a business called Core Dells that developers used. Um, so it's quite niche. But um, with Cordell's, it's, it's not just for builders. Once you know what's available and what's possible, what that will tell you is I, I look at it like a gossip, like a gossipy neighbour. They've been around for 100 years and they know, they, they tap into council and they also look at what's happening, who's applied or inquired about development, what developments are going through, what stage they're up to, like they'll physically look and they'll update their database. And um, so you can know an area um, where, um, so for example, um, recently um, from our community, there was one at Lidcombe um, and that was a growth corridor in Sydney and what they did was it was an old service station and so they got it on an option and they um, paid 1% option fee. So it was that they agreed on $10 million and they paid 1% of that. So they paid 100000 but they then went to council and they had to do, don't get me wrong, they still had to do stuff and it, it cost them money on the way through. Um, so like, you know, hundreds of thousands in um like soil contamination reports and all sorts of things to do with the service station. But at the end of the day, for $350,000, they um, turned a an abandoned service station into something completely different. It was a DA for 94 apartments and retail space on the bottom. And it, they'd been working with council. Council, it was an infill area. Council wanted to see that in the area. So they wanted that sort of infrastructure there. And um, they, all these guys were doing was delivering to the council and market what it wanted. And they were then able to use Cordell's to say, okay, who are the developers in Lidcombe? And it will show you this guy's just finished building 100 apartments and it's completed or this one's halfway through. And so they were able to, it's almost like a Rolodex that you'd have if you've been in the industry for 20 years. They were able to approach them and say, we've got this and this is the approval and they were they could buy that option off them. Um, and they made um, many millions of dollars just in that. So they I think they bought the, the option was for $10 million, but they on-sold it to the developer. So they were buying it as a service station, but the developer was buying it as a DA-approved site for 94 apartments and retail, and he paid $17 million. She also explains how long the process took to get the DA approval for that particular site. The um, option period was for 12 months, but we also had a clause in there that said that we could extend it for another six months just in case things went wrong in council. So they didn't pay their $100,000 option fee without knowing. So they were kind of massaging both sides. So they were talking to town planners at council about what was possible. In the meantime, they were talking to the owner. Um, And so when they um, bought the option from the owner, they knew that 
Council was um, on board with their idea and then they ended up doing it in 12 months. But if we needed to, we could have um, had an extension on the option for another six months just in case. The zoning fit though, so it was compliant. It wasn't like they were having to ask for some special exception um, and, and some discretionary thing on the part of council. Um, but yeah, they did know up front, like, is this possible? And with this zoning, you know, all things being equal, could you do this? And council like, yep, we'd be really happy to see that as long as there's some green areas and this and that. And so they knew in principle it was possible. Looking for guidance to aid her in a property investing journey, Gruber shares that her mentors were not always the most conventional ones. For me, a mentor may not be a physical person. Um, it, it may be just a book that I'm reading. So I'm I'm a big reader, um, and I so I would. Um, read anything and everything. I'm embarrassed to tell you, Tyrone, but I'll tell you the truth. Like back in the early days, I I actually, from rock bottom, um, I read um, Donald Trump's The Art of the Comeback. Um, So it was about him because he's in the Guinness Book of Records for the greatest ever financial turnaround. Um, And so I read The Art of the Comeback and then I read The Art of the Deal, like his first book and um, not that's why I'm a bit embarrassed now to say Donald Trump, but like I would think in any situation, like the Balliner apartment, I'd go, okay, so what would Donald Trump do now? What would he do in this situation? Just so like not that I could ring him up as a mentor and say, what should I do? But I could at least um, leverage his knowledge and, and try and model myself off um, things like that. But more, re- but I have had physical um, coaches and mindset coaches. So um, as um, an educator, I just had a lot of blockages. Uh, it's kind of a male world, the property education space. I'm speaking from the stage and, and I wasn't good at it. Um, so I, I actually had to go and get help with that and I first went to a just because I, I don't know the lawyer in me I'm just black and white and it's okay I just need to learn to do public speaking it's different from talking to judges and juries I just have to get someone to tell me how to do stage speaking and that didn't really work or translate to me and then someone said I, I saw a guy at like I was waiting to go on stage at an event and there was this guy speaking um, and he was a mindset speaker and I was listening to him thinking oh god you're good and I love everything you say so I actually said to him Can can you teach me how to speak? And he said, it's not about speaking. It's about what's in your head and your blockages and you're making that a self-fulfilling prophecy. So uh, he still coaches me to this day on my on my mindset. Wow, that's phenomenal. Now, I'd love to know who this guy is. <laughs> oh, you probably seen him. He's been around a long time, Paul Blackburn. Oh, yes, I know Paul. Okay, wow. Yeah. He's, he's a phenomenal. So- yeah, so so my blockages were all. That's what he came. Uh, to, that's what we came to realise. I had a whole lot of baggage and Catholic guilt and everything about. Um, yeah, I had I've had massive dialogues going on in my head, like while I was on stage and the lawyer in me. And um, I've softened up a little bit now, but you can imagine, Tyrone, like questions that you're asking me now, like you'd be saying, well, how much, you know, tell us a bit about that deal. And I'd be like, oh, I've got to get a non-disclosure and I can't talk about that. And if I say 400,000 and it was actually 405,000, is that misleading and deceptive? And, you know, I, I had all of that baggage following me around. With such baggage weighing her down, Grubasa shares how she was able to overcome them. 
he asked me some hard questions um, and, yeah, it, it's still a work in progress. Like, obviously, the bigger you get, the um, you know, the more success you get. There's also an element of, of downside with that. So even more recently, um, getting more into an online space and I'm, I'm starting to wanting to share a lot more knowledge and doing content marketing and the, the greater your reach, um, the also you you do get some detractors and I I w- had such a soft underbelly that my husband actually forbade me to read emails after nine o'clock because one night I read a bad email, like someone wrote something um, just in a service business, some a customer complaint, and I just took it so to heart that I'd be waking him up in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. going, hey, hey, you wake, you know how that person said that? Did you think this? Did you think that? So Paul did a lot of work with me and there's a real, I have this weakness where I need to be liked. And so um, if I need to be liked, then that means that um, I'm giving away some power because I can't control what people think of me. Um, But if I'm wanting that approval or some sort of verification from others, then that's a weakness because it's outside of my control. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a big journey for me to even, you know, have a Facebook page and be online and embrace the digital age, which you have to in business um, or you, you're going to die. Um, but for me, that also means that people can write negative comments. And if I've got, if I don't toughen up and get a thicker skin and learn that it's okay, that not everyone has to like you and you can't please all the people all the time, then, you know, I'll never get ahead in business. Aside from her current mentors, Grubiser explains that the best advice she has ever received actually came from someone she worked with in her earlier profession as a barrister. If I had to pick one, um, it would be to, um, and this is something that someone told me very early on, it was that um, to just guard your time with your life. Um, So, um, one of my, it was a, actually a barrister who said to me, we we worry so much about losing money, but when you lose money, you can get money back again. We, we'd be just outraged if someone stole some of our property or possessions, and yet we let people steal our time every day. And he said, you've only got 24 hours in a day. It's yours to make the most with whatever way you can. So don't, and it comes back to being liked again. He said, he, he said, the number of people who, who just don't say no to things. And I read a quote Warren Buffett said, um, a measure of success, successful people, um, often say no to things more than ordinary people. So just learning to, to just be that focused that you can have the guts to say, no, I'm sorry, that doesn't suit so that your day is not reactionary. On a more personal note, Grubiser reflects on the personal habit that she believes has contributed to her success. I um, would often let the day invade my time and I'd start I kind of start my day on the back foot because the first thing I do I'd always have good intentions to do something like I'm going to exercise like I'm going to set the alarm like at night after you've had had eaten a meal and had 
a glass of wine, you're feeling good, but you're feeling a bit guilty, I'd think, right, this is it. Tomorrow I'm up at five and I'm going to the gym or I'm doing whatever. And I just set my alarm for five and then five would come and I'd just hit snooze. And it was just so easy to go, do I feel like it? No, I just really don't feel like it. And then when I did wake up later on, I the first thing I'd do is reach for my phone and then I'd look at emails and then I'd start answering emails. And then the tail was wagging the dog because I was jumping to other people's requests and demand and that my day would just sort of fall through the day without any real plan. So I've got this thing now where my alarm goes up off at five every morning and I don't know if you've read Mel Robbins, it's the five-second rule. So before my brain can even say, oh, do I feel like going for a swim? Like, of course I don't feel like going for a swim at five o'clock. But before that dialogue even kicks off in my head, I just go five, four, three, two, one. My feet are on the ground, I'm in the car, I'm driving to the pool. And then um, swimming for me is like meditation. So every stroke I'm just counting and my brain can just, make plans I can organize my day and then I'm in charge of the day from there because I've just set out with that intention and that's sort of my catalyst um, my my comfort zone um, of how I launch my day with so much more success ahead of her Grubasa thinks back to the past to reflect on what she would tell herself 10 years ago I'd say hang in there. <laughs> it gets better because um, 10 years ago was a low point for us. 10 years ago was the GFC. Um, you kind of don't realise it though when you're in the eye of the storm. Um, but I, um, 10 years ago, I may have even given up. Just the little things, it just seems so overwhelming. But um, yeah, you, you don't need to see, see the whole staircase, only the first step. So I just had to just put in, keep putting one foot in front of the other to climb out of the hole and then new opportunities um, present themselves if you just keep in motion. As they say, a body in motion stays in motion. Looking ahead at the endless opportunities she has and the resources now available to her, Grubasa delves into what she is most looking forward to in the next five years not only in regards to a property journey but to the DG Institute as well. I'm loving inspiring and working with other people. So uh, we've created, and as I was saying, getting into the the digital space, a community of like-minded people all doing the same thing nationally. So um, partnering with each other on deals, money partners. One of our values um, here at DG Institute is challenge the status quo. So it's just, I think we're living in really, really exciting times. So um, one of the things we're doing for example, is setting up a peer-to-peer lending platform. So it's kind of like crowdfunding for property within our our community and and that's a new area of financial technology that ASIC is behind at the moment. They want Australia to be blazing a trail Um, and it's just, it's like Uber was for taxis and Airbnb for hotels. It's disruptive change in the banking space. With so much knowledge to share, Grubasa also goes on to tell us how she can assist you on your own property journey. I've actually got a special gift for your listeners. Um, So if they go to dginstitute.com.au forward slash M for Mary, W, C, 
hyphen gift pack. What I've got is um, three of my books. So one of them on asset protection for their property portfolio, um, the, another one on managing debt, and a final one on distressed properties. Um, so the, the three areas that we focus on here at the DD Institute, um, and I've written books um, around my knowledge in those areas so they can download those. Thank you to Dominic Rubisa, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about her journey, then visit our website at propertyinvestory.com. Also, are you interested in small investments with big profits? If the answer is yes, simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to register your interest. When you sign up, you'll receive deals at wholesale price which I've negotiated with the vendor. These deals generate positive cash returns from day one and only send these out exclusively to my community. To find out more, text me your email address on 0499881040. Thanks for listening.